Welcome to the Wealth and Purpose Podcast, where people who are led by their hearts come to learn the secrets to creating wealth in a way that feels really good and live their purpose fully in the process. I'm your host, Patty Lennon. I'm an ex-type A corporate banker turned intuitive business coach. I'm also a wife, a mom to two preteens, a professor, Girl Scout leader, and well, hey, you get it. Like you, I wear a lot of hats. Whether you're looking for inspiration to get started or strategies to get growing, I am here to help you create abundance in every area of your life and business. Welcome. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Wealth and Purpose Podcast. I am your host, Patty. I'm here with a guest. We have not had a guest here in so long. And the reason I'm breaking protocol is I am bringing you Mike McCallowitz. Now, if you have not met Mike, if you have not read his books, if you have not absorbed his content or his perspective on the world, you are going to love this podcast for two reasons. One, Mike has really plain speaking ways of explaining really big concepts. So that's one way that I think he can really help you today. But specifically, he's got a new book coming out that I know he didn't intend to enter the market with what we have going on right now, but it is so relevant. So I'm really excited to dig into what's going on around um, business and COVID-19. But I want to give you a background of how I know Mike personally. So when I jumped into the entrepreneurial space, I was so lost. I've shared this before. I came from corporate banking, did not know my ass from my elbow, and joined an organization called Savor the Success. And one of the first speakers I heard was Mike. At the time, Mike, you probably remember this. You were like hawking your first book, I think. When I-, <laughs> I was. I mean, that's 12 years ago now, I think. <laughs> yep. 12 years ago. And it was awesome. It was called the toilet paper entrepreneur, which (laughs) I don't think we even talk about anymore. Barely. But this had a concept in it that I could finally wrap my head around. So you were literally one of the first authors that you know wrote something that I felt like I understood what the hell you were saying. And you've come so far from there. But I will say that Mike is just such a charming individual. If you've ever been in the room with him, if you've ever had the pleasure of hearing him on the stage, he's just conversational and just such a good guy. And then one of my favorite interactions with you, Mike, is I think it might have been Pumpkin Plan. When you were marketing Pumpkin Plan, your parents came with you. (laughs) And your parents sold me that book. Your mom sold me that book. (laughs) So here's something crazy. I don't know if I ever told you this. So to get endorsements for that second book, I didn't have like a network. I wasn't established. I'd written my first book, but it was by no means a mainstream success. And I wanted to get like Seth Godin and Riva Lasansky and Bob Bergen, Malcolm Gladwell, always Guy Kawasaki, Michael Gerber to endorse these books. So I'm like, how am I going to do it? And I, I just love going outside the box. So I went to my mom and said, what, what would you do? She's like, well, I would just email him. So, or I mean, I just sent him a letter. So I wrote these letters. Admittedly, she did not write these letters, but I wrote it to the different authors. So Guy Kawasaki is one of my favorite examples. Now you met my mom. You may recall she has a heavy German accent. She's fresh off the boat. So I wrote the letter like she was writing the letter to Guy Kawasaki. And so typical mom is like, uh, dear Mr. Kawasaki, my son is an aspiring author. 
Um, he is struggling, but he is a handsome young boy. And he, um, he wants to get your endorsement, but he's embarrassed to reach out to you. And then it kind of drifts off. It's like my, my, my friend Goethe and I were talking about this, and, and Mike really is awkward. And then she goes on and she says, but I must be candid with you. I do not believe in motorcycles. And I know you've been very successful with your Kawasaki line. <laughs> it was Guy Kawasaki, a business author. And it was just like this long email uh, or letter from my mom. And we did that for every single uh, author. Every single one endorsed my book. It was hysterical and awesome. And admittedly, I've not told Guy Kawasaki that I actually ran into him, but I couldn't divulge that. But if they ever ask me, I will be very candid about the truth. Oh, my God. Such a Mike way of going after things. I love it. Yeah, I my, my mother it. with Michael Gerber said, uh, I've always used your baby food line. Michael was raised on your products. <laughs> so awesome. Um, all right. Well, Mike, I'm so glad that you're here. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Mike, he is a best-selling author. He's written a number of books about how to grow businesses in ways that work for the business owner that are very common sense and really approach it from a you know where you can focus your time and your energy to make the most out of your business. Now, Mike, I know you help all size businesses. I would say the majority of people listening to this podcast are going to have smaller businesses. So mm-hmm. we're going to focus there if that's okay for you. Yeah, that's my peeps. I love small business. Yes. So your new book coming out, Fix This Next. Tell me what's the whole focus there? Like, what are we fixing next? Yeah. So that that actually ends up being the question. I, I emailed my list. It takes me about five years, Patty, to write a book. And uh, I, I'm a very slow writer. And also, I have to do a lot of research and testing. It just takes a lot of time. So about five years ago, I emailed my readership and said, um, what's the biggest challenge you're facing now? And my readership is microenterprise. You know, sub five hundred thousand dollar businesses is the vast majority. Sub a hundred thousand, in fact. I said, "What's your biggest challenge?" And people responded. The interesting thing was, some people responded multiple times. I don't know on purpose or by accident in the same day with brand new challenges. And that's when it became very clear to me that the biggest challenge entrepreneurs have is knowing what their biggest challenge is. That became the thesis. We we're so much in the, let's just fix whatever. There's so many apparent issues to resolve that we're constantly you know, putting out fires. And so I wrote this book to pinpoint the one thing we need to work on that will move our business forward. And once addressed, how to find the next one thing and continue that sequence on. I love that. So now I know that uh, you know your concept, really the way you show it and the way you develop what to fix next has this pyramid image. If you get the book, you'll see it. It's very easy to understand. It looks very similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes. So tell me, tell me what that relationship is. Yeah. So I translated it directly from Maslow's hierarchy with one substantial and critical differentiator. So just as a refresher for anyone that's not familiar with it, Maslow was studying human needs and basically said there's a base level need for all of humanity, which he deemed to be physiological needs. That's like breathing air, drinking water, eating food. Without those biological needs serviced, we will die, right? Well, Amelia Bovey says once those needs are satisfied, then we have needs for shelter and safety, shelter from the elements and from physical harm. And then once that's satisfied, there's needs for belonging to belong to the community. And it goes up five levels. The highest level is self-actualization, living life's purpose. And what Maslow argued in the hierarchy of needs is that when a base level need is not adequately satisfied, 
we will biologically, neurologically, we're wired to go right back to that base. So the example I use is uh, I'm here in New Jersey um, and you know the weather it can be pretty crazy. This this last winter was kind of mild, but last, the year prior, we hit a few days that was sub-zero Fahrenheit. You know, it was frigid. And if I'm outside wearing like a t-shirt and these temperatures set in, I will automatically immediately start to shiver. I will seek shelter because I will die of hyperthermia, you know, within 10 or 15 minutes. So you got to seek shelter. But the interesting thing is that's the second level need. The, there's a base level need of physiological needs. And if someone came running up behind me and put like a plastic bag over my head and wrapped duct tape around it, which admittedly being in New Jersey is possible. Um, if someone <laughs> did that, I would then tear at the bag because my base level need of breathing oxygen is not being satisfied. So I'll tear that bag away if I can and then seek shelter. Well, in the business hierarchy of needs, I found that there is a similar structure for the health and survival of a business. But the fundamental difference is we are not neurologically wired into our business like we are ourselves. So like, Pat, if you and I are hanging out and we, we go walking down a street and we, we take a shortcut down some alley and both of us feel this sensation like something's not right here we better turn around. Like we, we might just get murdered. Like let's get out of here because our, our senses, sight, smell, uh, hearing, all these senses trigger off to cause an instinctual emotion or feeling. But in our business, we don't have that yet. Many business owners rely on their instinct and gut. It's often the next thing that is in front of us, the apparent issue that we say, that's the one I got to tackle it right now is, you know, we're recording this. There's the, the economic crisis triggered by COVID that's going on. So many business owners are just saying, oh my gosh, my gut says I, I need to sell my way out of this and are selling in a way that's actually crippling their businesses further. So the business hierarchy of needs has five levels. And once we understand this, we can ask a simple series of questions to identify what the true need is for the business. So it works like this. The base level need of the business hierarchy is sales. Sales is the creation of cash. The equivalent of oxygen, if you have no cash coming in your business, your business is not breathing, it's going to suffocate. So we need an inbound source of cash that comes through sales. Then the next level above that is profit. Profit is the creation of stability, which means it gives our business cash and runway to sustain. A lot of businesses, uh, as Warren Buffett says, when the tide goes out, you start seeing who's swimming naked. And what a lot of businesses are experiencing right now is they were swimming naked. They had sales but they had no profitability. So sales have been compromised even slightly. They can't sustain. They were living check by check. But once you service the profit level, then we go on to order. Order is the creation of organizational efficiency, where there's no dependency on an individual, particularly the owner, for the business to sustain. It can run itself effectively. The level above that is impact. Impact is the creation of transformation. This is where we're not in the business of transactions, but we're in the business of transactions that bring about transformation for people. We're shifting people's lives in some specific way. Then the highest level is legacy. And legacy is the creation of permanence. As I was researching this, the, the fascinating insight I found is that when business achieves legacy, the business owners realize they were never business owners. They've been business stewards, that they brought something to life, something to significance, and that the, the um, life of the business is more important than their involvement in the business. It's about the business itself. So we use this business hierarchy of needs. And what we do, like Maslow, is we always look at the base first and we ask ourselves a set of simple questions. It's always the same two questions. At the base, you say, do we have any that level sales? Do we have any sales? 
And if the answer is no, that's something you must address immediately. No sales, no oxygen. The second question is, assuming that we have some sales, do we have an adequate degree of sales to support profit? Then what you do is look at the profit level and see the correlation saying, well, we have some sales coming in. Are we extracting profit from it? If we're having, if we have no profit, then we have to address the profit level. If we can extract profit, then we look at the level above it. Order. Do we have any order or efficiency? And uh, if no, um, we need to address efficiency. Now, this hierarchy is not a ladder. You don't climb up to the top. We will cycle around and new needs will present themselves. The foundation will crack. So we move around. So you don't just climb up to the top and wave to your friends. I'm at the legacy level. Like you'll, you'll move forward in some businesses right now because sales are slowing. Things are shifting. Needs are changing. Businesses are having to revert back to the base and address sales. Actually, in many cases, businesses actually need to address their form of profitability because they do still have a degree of sales, but the the formula to achieve profitability has changed. So that's so interesting because that was my big question for you when I knew you were coming on here was, you know, what happens for a business owner that has, and you already answered it, you know, is at the point of transformation and suddenly, you know, they really did everything quote unquote right, but just because of the essence of their business, you know, whatever, it involves a lot of physical presence, sales are completely gone. Yeah. What, what, do they, what does that business do right now? Yeah. So what you need to do is first appreciate the necessity to sustain over contribution. There's this mentality of you got to give to get. That's actually my mother raised me on that. You got to give to get, and uh, I'm going to say it publicly: bullshit, mom. You actually need to get to give. You need to get to give. We cannot be of contribution unless we have some source of sustainability. So sales, profit, and efficiency all translate into uh, what we get in order for us to be able to have impact and to achieve legacy in our organization for it to live on. So many businesses right now that were at the impact or legacy level, uh, because sales were happening on their own, they were extracting profit, they were able to sustain, they had order throughout the organization. Now we're reverting back. And so many businesses have jumped back to sales uh, or profit. But what's interesting is without really considering the hierarchy, we're just doing it out of instinct and many businesses are doing it the wrong way. I see, Patty, so many businesses that are just desperate to get a loan, to get the government loan. It's free mm-hmm. money, which it ain't free money. There's actually the law. So, we, so the nice thing of having 450 accountants and bookkeepers uh, in your community is you get the per minute, at the minute feedback of what's going on. And as of us recording this, the clarity on the CARES Act and all these different relief funds is confusing and actually contradictory uh, in its own document of what and how it functions. So there's a lot of lack of clarity. Yet businesses are jumping on this saying, this is my salvation. And I'll tell you this, if your business needs to get a loan, you first must ask this, why do I need to get a loan? What's the root cause? Because a loan will stave the problem for a period of time, but if you don't address the problem, it's going to be right back two months from now or whatever when you exhaust that loan. So we got to get to the cause. But it's it's the natural human response is to take these big actions based upon our gut. Say, I got to get that loan in place. And once I do, I got to cut cut prices to get sales going again, which is another trap I see people falling into. They're cutting prices, they're offering discounts to hopefully get more sales, but they're cutting out their margin 
And actually, every time they have a sale, it becomes a bigger burden to the company. They're actually selling their way out of business. So we have to be very selective in what we do. And you can just do it by evaluating the hierarchy of needs, pinpointing where you are, getting to the root, I call it the vital need within that level, and then just addressing that one component and not trying to do multiple things at once, do one element at a time. But they can happen in fast sequence. But if we try to do everything at once or we randomly select things, that's usually the beginning of the end. So what would you say to someone that is, because I know you talk a lot about debt. You talked about, I mean, that was one of the core things you focused on in your book a while back with Profit First, with the way businesses related to their debt base and their business. And I know you talk about it in this book, but when you're facing, you know, because I I had a lot of clients that we were talking through when this first started happening, they were at different stages of being impacted by, you know, shelter in place laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they immediately looked to the CARES Act and to that PPP. And then and then some of them were saying, you know, I don't want to take on debt though. Yeah. And, and my thought was, but these are this is low interest debt, and you're looking at possibly closing the doors. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess I didn't get very far with that thought process because I don't consider myself to be someone who can consult on is debt right for your business, but you do. So what, yeah, yeah. what do you Well, say? you said the right thing. It, it, you said the key question, is debt right for your business? That's the consideration that people aren't making. They're seeing it as a quick relief saying, if I just take on a loan, I can stay in business. And in that same thought, they're saying I can leave business as normal. And that's the problem. So we look at our ongoing, our current expenses and say, okay, my expenses are say 5,000 a month. I'm just picking a number. If I get a loan of $10,000, that affords me two months. And that's totally the wrong way to look at it. Question is, I need to take on a loan. Well, why? Because I'm costing, you know, to run my business is $5,000 a month. Okay. Do, are, are we required to maintain that? Can we reduce the costs? What, what do we need to do to sell our way to support that? And those are the questions we ask first. See, there, there's three forms of debt. Um, there's what's called debt leveraging. And the concept of debt leveraging is where, say, Patty, I ask you for $100 and I am have a high level, high probability that within two months, I'll have $200. Well, then I have what's, a debt, what's called a debt leveraging opportunity. I borrow money so I can make more money in a predictable period of time. And I have a very high probability of that happening. So that's a good, quote unquote, risk to take on. I borrow $100 month later, I get my $200. I give you back your 100 plus your interest, and we both come out ahead. That's debt leveraging. Most businesses do not debt leverage. The second element is called debt bridging. Now, debt bridging is where I borrow $100 from you to cover a known quantity of time where I'm depleted in cash, but I will re, I'll remunerate myself through sales afterwards. I said that a little bit more complex than necessary. Basically, in this example is um, I have ongoing expenses. I have invoices that I need to collect money on, and the money's going to come in two weeks, but I got to pay payroll today. Well, I borrowed $100 from you. I can pay payroll, and then two weeks from now, when that invoice is paid and I get $150 or $200, I can pay you back plus interest, and I'm back on track. That's called a debt bridge. But a debt bridge requires a known quantity of time. You know, I know that within two weeks, I'll be through this phase, and there's money on the other side. Most businesses are not debt bridging right now. They're just borrowing money, but they don't know how long is this going to go. And they don't have money on the other side of it. So they're doing the third kind of loan. It's called debt anchoring. 
Debt anchoring is where we take money just in hopes that things will resolve itself. And it becomes an anchor to the business, an albatross. So I sadly, what I expect, a lot of businesses are taking on money right now are not thinking about the return side. How are they going to pay this back? They're just taking it without consideration. And if you don't consider return side, it's likely you're going to be in deep trouble. So they, they're going to feel this temporary relief, but they're going to experience long-term agony. My greatest fear is the financial stability of the individuals behind it, not the businesses. If businesses take on debt and they got a business, that is a shame. But maybe that business can bounce back. I'm actually more concerned about now the person that's personally guaranteed that it's anchored to. They can't pay it back. Now, this is something they got to carry forward. Should they start a new business? Should they get a job somewhere? And now they have this burden they're carrying on their back, kind of like student loans. We're, we're you know, student, <laughs> if you study student loans, it is the most devastating form of debt. It sounds amazing, low interest rates. Uh, it'll get you through four years of college. And when you get a great job, you'll be able to pay it back, no problem. It's, it's the biggest form of debt. And overnight now, we're entering perhaps the second and soon to be the biggest form of debt now is this CARE Act in ways that people are just taking loans without consideration. One final little disclaimer is there are certain circumstances where this debt will serve companies. That's the companies that are using this as a debt bridge, meaning they see the other side, or a debt leverage where they see it as an opportunity to actually grow and facilitate future revenue. I love that explanation. That's that makes it so clear. So I have two separate, two totally different directions I want to go in. So I'm gonna I may ping pong around a little sure. bit. First is for most people I work with, and probably the person listening to this podcast that's a purpose-driven entrepreneur, COVID aside, although it will play in, they tend to, that person tends to say, I'm here to transform others. And they put so much energy into transformation with very little focus on sales. Now, The current situation is sort of like amplifying it and and making it even more obvious that this is what's going on because where sales might have trickled in as a result of that approach, now they're completely dried up. What would you say to the person who says, I'm giving my gifts to the world. I know that's what I was supposed to do. I feel bad asking for money, especially now. Yeah. So those people, I tell you have a responsibility, a damned responsibility to make money and to sell. Let me explain why, because I know that sounds pretty confrontational. Right now, um, if you focus on impact and being of service without considering the health of your organization, the continuance of your organization, you will only be able to sustain so long. You can only give so long. They say give till it hurts. Well, when it hurts, you're out of business because you can't sustain. So this is a shame. You've been able to give now freely for two or three weeks, maybe a month or so, and then now you're wiped off the planet not to return and all done. We need your business to stick around. So that's step one. And the only way for you to stick around is to be fair, not only to your customer, but to also be fair to you. There has to be an equal transaction for your sustainability. So that's why you got a responsibility to sell. The second thing is we see in this market continuously less than scrupulous opportunistic people enter the market. It always happens, particularly under duressful periods like this. So your customers out there, they will have a need. They do have a need and they may be buying in a new way, but they need to satisfy that need. And if you are not actively out there marketing and selling yourself, well, the less scrupulous providers are. And 
the customer is buying from them because they're the only ones that are raising their hands. And now they're getting screwed. So if you want to defend and protect your customers, you must market to them, that you must make them aware of you, and you must sell so you can sustain. So that's a crazy thing. Small business, Patty, the analogy I'm saying right now is that small business, we just got punched in the face, like a full cold cock punch in the face, bloody nose, black eye from the world. And the world is saying in the same breath when it just punched us, you need to save me. Because because the backbone of the global economy is small business. We employ over 50% of the people in the planet is employed by small business. And so we need to stand up and step forward and kick ass in this environment. We, we, we have to. And we're, we're crippled and we're beaten down. And if we're simply going to try to give away what we have, then we're wiped off the planet. So you got to sell. It's your responsibility. That's awesome. That That's exactly what I think people need to hear right now. Just that, that affirmation that it's okay and not just okay, it's a good thing. And it's going to counteract some of the nastiness that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it's going to do. And you know, out of the recessions always come the strongest companies. We we hear story after story of companies that get birthed in recession. I know Google was, I think it was a 2001 recession, if I'm not wrong, uh, but I could be, I could be wrong. Um, But Google was, Hewlett Packard was, uh, there's so many case studies of these companies. And I think Amazon was, it, companies that sustain through this and actually use this as an opportunity, which is different than being opportunistic. Opportunistic is where you take advantage of someone's disadvantage. An opportunity is where you find a way to cater to what people need and sell it to them, right? And that's what I'm saying we need to do. And we got to defeat the opportunistic folks. But the companies that see the opportunity in this and are of great service are the ones that come out stronger. Because at the end of a recession, there is going to be depleted supply and increased demand, meaning there's going to be less competition after this is over. It's washing out so many businesses that were ill-prepared or don't know how to handle it. But if you do focus forward, if you do take deliberate steps and do see yourself through the recession and sell your way through it, because you have to, you will be the company on the other side. And then there's going to be a surge of demand. All these customers that were left abandoned because the competition went away, Customers that held off their decision-making until they felt confident again to do it, which happens after recession. Now you have increased demand with decreased supply. That is our opportunity to be of the greatest service and to grow. Love it. So so now um, you've got um, your newest book coming out. And I'm curious if you if this is the book that, that people should be reaching for. They've just listened to you. And I would suspect most people that are listening, because of the environment, they're saying, okay, either sales or profit is my issue right now. Mm-hmm. Likely um, is one of the two. Yeah. What, but, what, what, re- go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess I was jumping the gun here. Cause I, I, you're going to ask you know, what books should they read and what resources they get? I assume. Right. So sorry for jumping the gun. What they should read, I'd argue is fix this next. Of all the books I've written, I am the most proud of this one. I think it's the most important work of my life. And I believe the timing is fortuitous. It's, never what I expected or wanted for any of us, but I wrote a book for crisis. So this book's for this moment. And if you don't know what to do, or if you're trusting your gut, this book will pinpoint what to do. Now, the solution may be somewhere within profit. It may be somewhere within sales, but there's elements of it. Sales has prospecting, conversion. There's a thing called lifestyle congruence. There's all these elements. And I identify and explain everything and fix this next. Same thing with profit, debt control, margin control, there's all these other elements, debt leveraging, we talked about anchoring. 
So we need to pinpoint what to do so we can do it. So uh, I can't think of anything I've done uh, that will offer more value at a more affordable price point. It's you know twenty five bucks. Probably can get a used copy for like a penny on Amazon. You know they sell them away. So I encourage people get the book. I commit. I promise it will serve you. And if you want to get the resources, uh, you can go to fixthisnext.com. All the resources for the book are there. Additionally, we uh, enabled a free evaluation in response to COVID um, where it'll take less than five minutes. It's 25 questions. It'll pinpoint for you through this quick exam without even reading the book on what you need to do next. And there's no download or anything. You can just take the exam or evaluation, pinpoint what you got to work on and get to work at it right away. Yeah, that's so good. I went and I um I started the evaluation right before I um came on with you, so I didn't get to finish it. But I will say for those of you listening, I've read all of Mike's books and a couple of things. First of all, I know what Mike is talking about right now can feel very businessy. It can feel somewhat dry even, but that's mm. not the way Mike writes. <laughs> so as as much as this is very heady types of concepts, the way he writes, it it's really easy to understand. And what I want, so I just want to encourage you to get the book because it's really going to be something you can read and yeah. enjoy. And I will say for you, Mike, what you said, like that you're this, you're so proud of this book. And I will say, having been with you, following you since the first book. I always like I always loved each book but there was it was just a piece of the puzzle is what each book felt like right. and this book really does feel like a more comp- comprehensive work. So I just want to say like thank you for writing it and and I really appreciate being on this journey with you and just being able to benefit from your wisdom. So oh, thank that, you. That means the world to me, Patty. Thank you so much for saying that. And thank you for having me on your show. Yes, yes. Well, now there's a couple of questions everyone needs to answer before they get off. So I'm going to oh, give yeah, you those. So the first question is, what is your definition of wealth? <laughs> so I think wealth and health uh, could be synonymous words. So I think at the end of the day, it's wealth is actually health. And health I define as both physical, but also mental. Like, do mm-hmm. I have a joyous experience in my life? And do I feel great about it? And uh, how do I feel internally? That's my physical health. And I think that's the ultimate definition of wealth. It's kind of ironic, I think, because we need those elements to achieve the traditional definition, which is the financial component. But to me, it's actually back to just the way we perceive the world itself. And if it's a joyous experience mentally and we feel strong and powerful, well, that's the ultimate definition of wealth. I love that. Okay. Second question is, what do you think your purpose on this planet is? Oh, I have no question in my mind is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. I know the moment it happened and when I came to realize it, and it's uh, it's why I'm here. So every every work I do, everything I do, I actually I have a bracelet on right now that says eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. I, I'm constantly on that mission. There's this perception that the day you become an entrepreneur, that you've achieved everything. You're rich. Uh, you sit on the beach drinking Mai Tais. But the reality for most entrepreneurs is we are impoverished in so many ways. We're working our tail off. Uh, and that beach, that's, that's a dream. That's a pipe dream. Well, we are the backbone of the economy. So we need you, small business owner, to be successful. We need you to not be impoverished. So my goal is to close that gap. And I will do it till my final breath and hopefully leave stuff behind that when I'm done, 
um, the message and the ways I can be of service continue on. That's awesome. I, and I would say that's completely in alignment with what I know about you. Okay. Final question is, is there anything that we haven't talked about that directly would help someone that's pursuing creating their own version of wealth with purpose by following their purpose? Any piece of advice, especially in the current environment that you have for them? Yeah, it's, it's real simple. I call it the uh, sell the tell process. And if you want to change lives, um, as we talked about, and I think we all do, like I'm on a mission to change lives, but I am acutely aware of the necessity for sustainability. And th- that includes my own kind of mental health and my own happiness. If I am happy and joyful on this mission, I can be of such greater service. So you have to sell your way. And to sell the tell is real simple. However you want to serve your clients, before you create that, so many times we create something, we build it and they will come kind of mentality. Uh, doesn't come true. So what we need to do is simply offer through telling what we're going to sell. And don't ask people what they think. Ask them to open their wallets. Because if you can get people to make a commitment, just put down a deposit or something on your idea, you've proven your idea is significant and a value. But if people are not willing to open their wallets, your idea is not good enough yet and you got to get back to the drawing board. But don't build it until they're willing to open their wallets. Then you actually build it after they do that. I love it. Such good advice. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being here. I am so appreciative of you taking time out of your busy schedule to join me here on this podcast. And I am excited for this book to be out in the world because I know it's going to help so many people. Thank you so much, Patty. Hey, thanks for listening. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, please share this podcast with them. And if you're feeling really generous, I'd love for you to leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. It helps us reach many more people. And it fills my heart with so much joy when I hear what you had to say about what you heard. I am cheering for your success. Have an amazing day. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.